All right, y'all. So here, here's what we're doing. If you're a member here, you, you've seen the message and our intent in doing this. If, you are, if you're a guest, we don't, don't normally preach this way, um, side by side, but we love what the Lord, we believe, is doing in this message. And, and so it's simply this, that here at the beginning of the new year, as we're talking and, and we're considering, man, if we if we could just pick like three passages or, or three verses, but they're just, you know us, they're going to be passages. But if we have picked three passages that we would communicate to cross life as we think about you, as we pray about you, as we consider last year, as we consider this year, what would those three passages be? But three between us wasn't enough. So it's three each. And so, so what we... That was, that was kind of the, the thrust is, Lord, as you've called us to shepherd and oversee this church, we want you to hear our hearts for you, about you, and for the Lord. So we're each going to be sharing. Um, I'm just going to, we did very intentionally time ourselves in our practice so that we were trying to fall within certain time frames. And we felt really good about that. We're not going to tell you the time frame because you're going to be sitting there doing this. But we were very intentional in, in our efforts to, to do that, to honor the time that we have together, to honor the Lord and not to not to hit too many rabbit trails and to really just work under that conviction of communicating our hearts. But uh but you know you know us and if you know us so we're gonna do our very best. It's gonna be good. Um, but that's what we're gonna do. So we're there's not even a consistent flow of we're beginning Isaiah and and then the next one just logically automatically flows from it that wasn't our intention it was really Andy what are three passages that the Lord has put on your heart as you think about pray and lead cross life what would you communicate and and then the same Ricky what would you communicate and then we we just put them in and um and what we found is that there was a trend mine tend to have a corporate aspect to them as I think about cross life his tend to have a more individualistic um, approach. And so it's really neat to see how the Lord brought these together. So you're going to hear about six different main points. I hear a, like a ring. Like, just check out, I don't hear it up there. I just hear it right next to us. I heard okay. it too. Sorry. Let's try that. I don't hear it anymore. Okay, here we go. So this is unique. It's not normal, but what we hope you really do, it, it's not gimmicky. This, this isn't a gimmick. This is, this is genuinely us saying we love you as your elders. Thank you for letting us serve. We want to be able to communicate to you as we think and walk alongside and love and lead in this capacity. Here are the passages the Lord has brought to mind. All right. So with that said, I want to say a, a prayer, and then and then we really are. We're just going to kind of go back and forth. And and uh, we our chief prayer is, Lord, may you be honored in what we do today. Pray with me, please. Lord, this is going to be fun. Lord, I'm excited about it. It's It's so neat to see what you do. In allowing us to just come to your word. Lord, may you be honored. May you be glorified. May what people leave here today thinking is, oh my God, he is wonderful. Not, that was neat. Not, I like Andy, I like Ricky, I like their hearts. Not, Lord, that's not our desire. Our desire is that your word is upheld, your word goes out, and that we shepherd with full integrity and honor with our eyes set upon you because through you and for you are all things, and that's why we want to do this today. So, Lord, guard our hearts. Lord, guard this time from distraction for all of us. 
And Lord, may at the end of it all, your word remain with clear understanding and conviction and our words disappear in the stream of time. The grass wither, the flower fades, but your word endures forever. Lord, give us understanding. So Lord, your word open before us, may we tremble at it. And may we lovingly and joyfully and with great wonder and fun together walk through all that you've provided. Amen. Well, you let me go first. That's better. Yeah, that's better. Thanks. Um, as you're turning, if you haven't already done so, go ahead and start turning to Isaiah 58. We're going to read verses 2 through 11. This doesn't seem like an apparent, um, and actually wasn't on my radar until I started thinking about what, what I wanted to say. And um, actually, what Ricky, what our prayer time, what, what your prayer time, I have a feeling it was very very well like, thought out. <laughs> because it's exactly, um, I think, what we both desire for the church. What is exactly what you prayed. And in fact, actually, at the end of that prayer, I was like, well, we could just we could go now. <laughs> it's because as a, as, a, as a church, as individuals, each one of you, that's, that's kind of what I'm preaching to as a heart, but as a corporate and, and as he's speaking, um, what we want you what we want from all of us and what we've always wanted from, from all of us is to seek him, to find him beautiful and, 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 and beyond anything else that we could want, and then to um, grow in our faith with him, um, and then to be able to share that corporately with each other as, as the kingdom, right? As, 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 was, as God designed us to come together in fellowship and be the church and then to do that out to the world. Um, so that's kind of the main summary thrust of everything. Um, but as we turn to Isaiah, let me let me start by reading this. Um, and and this was this was designed, of course, for the uh, uh, the nation of Israel. But this is God's people, right? So you can think of it if I read nation as God's people or God's church today. And it's not. This is for this is for us as a whole. This is us for us individually. Um, this is also for the church universal as well, right? So. Um, this can apply to us, um, and it doesn't necessarily mean everything. But anyway, you'll get the heart of it, I think. Here we go. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, says God, as if they were a nation that does, not, that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? God says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, 
and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then will your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then will your righteousness go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then will you call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do, the Lord says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And you, and you say, well, well, okay, I don't know if we've ever heard that passage in our search. Why did you share that one? Um, I'm gonna, we're just going to go step by step through, and I'll hopefully explain why. He says, they seem eager to know my ways. They seem eager to know my ways. They look like, a, and it was a nation, I'm going to use church instead. They look like a church that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They have gone through what looks like pious acts. says, they ask me for just decisions and seem eager to come near. They have fasted and humbled themselves in their sight before God. But truly, it's a mask. And they are blind to it, actually. And they ask, why have you not seen our fasting? And notice, what, what are they saying? What are they saying when they say that? Why exactly are they fasting then, church? Before we get there, this is what God says to them in return. Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? What, are they, what do we mean by fasting? What, why are they fasting? What, we're also going to use like performing acts, doing good works, the righteousness, right? Why are they doing that? Out of love for him? From the heart? We'd say no, and that's what God was saying. It was actually to get something from God. They don't desire him for him but only for what he can give them. In essence, they have attached their hearts, their affections, their true love to something or someone else and perform acts to God so that he might grant their true heart's desires. In essence, he's become a genie. God's response to them exposes their misplaced affections. They don't love God for himself. They love God for what he can give them. Thus, all their pious, righteous acts are shown to be selfish. God goes on to say, if they truly love him for himself, these are the kind of actions, the fasting, the righteous acts that would be evident. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. To share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see them naked, to clothe them and to not turn away their own flesh and blood. Now, is God saying, if you do these acts, I'll listen to you? No, again, that's that human perspective. It's the counterfeit God perspective. If I do these acts, God will be in debt to me and give me the thing I want most. The thing I want, in effect, more than him. What is he saying then? God is saying, if you love me first, all these things will be added unto you. 
Seek ye first the kingdom, right? And everything will be added unto you. These are the results then of one who loves me more than anything else, God is saying. And if you seek him as your treasure, your ultimate delight, then, the scripture says, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then will you call and the Lord will answer You'll cry for help, and he says, here I am for you. Church, here are the questions then to ask yourselves, for those of you who take notes, for you to reflect on this year. Not, do you mentally assent to God as Lord, but is Yahweh your God? What does your heart truly want most? Another question, what are my counterfeit gods then? For church, I, we all, deep down, we have those, and we're still wrestling with those. What do, what can't I do without? It's another question you can ask yourself. Can I lose my pride, my happiness, my life's expectations? Can I lose my family, my career, my dreams, my health? And truly say that I still have everything because I have God. Cross life, this is what I want. We want you to be still and meditate on. To ask yourself in your inmost being, your heart of hearts, is Yahweh my God? Is he my heart's desire, my true treasure? Or is it something or someone else? Last thing, last two things, a quote and a directive. This from Tim Keller that sums it up. We think... We've learned about grace, set our idols aside, and reached a place where we're serving God, not for what we're going to get from him, but for who he is. There's a certain sense in which we spend our entire lives thinking we've reached the bottom of our hearts and then finding it as a false bottom. Mature Christians are not people who have completely hit bedrock. I do not believe he says that this is possible in life. Rather, they are people who know how to keep drilling and are getting closer and closer. So cross life, we want to encourage you this year to keep drilling to the bottom of your heart. All right, now let's move over to Acts. So you're gonna be flipping over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this is no doubt one of my favorite passages whenever I think on cross life. There's this passage, 
And then another passage in Matthew 9, 36, you don't have to turn there. It says, when he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And those two passages in Acts and in Matthew are what God used to spur the new work of what would ultimately become cross life. What would it mean to have compassion on the crowds and to shepherd and to disciple and intentionally walk? But also, what does it mean to do that? In verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And three and a half years later, when I think of you brothers and sisters in Christ, like that's, that's what I think of is this verse. And so I just want to walk through it with you as an encouragement for what we've been doing, an encouragement for us to keep doing this and to keep pressing in and to understand what it really means. Because if we want to be like the early church, then this is it in its purest, youngest, rawest form. They came together and they did four things and it completely honored and glorified the Lord. It says that they devoted themselves. So the word here that I can't say because I'm an Arkansan and I don't speak like that very well, but you can go to Google and like type in the word and it'll say it for you. And that's wonderful. It's a Googleable term and I'll spell it for you later if you want. But here's what the original word for devoted meant. Because if I say, oh, I'm, I'm devoted to doing that in, in America, like we're, it's kind of a loose term. Like we don't have devotion and commitment like this. And so I want to really define it so we really get it. It meant a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a course of action, which really comes down to this. This is a completely thorough, deep-seated devotion to one thing, like one direction, like you're not going to be distracted or deterred from this in any way whatsoever. Like that's what devotion means. That's what I feel like we've kind of lost. We like these ideas. We're committed to these ideas. We're going to hold to them. We're going to do our best. But like the true word of devotion there is a single-minded, wholehearted, deep-seated devotion. Like we're going to cling to this. And they clung to four things. And it's this, to the apostles' teaching. It's what we now have as the word in the New Testament. But they would cling to the apostles' teaching. Keep in mind, when the early church came together, the apostles were still around. They were still teaching, still writing, still correcting, still going out and doing these things. Those have all been collected now for us in the New Testament. They did not have the New Testament. But we would say today that they were devoted to the word. And what we do know the apostles' teaching, just listen to this. They, we can look back because it's all been recorded, and they focused on these things. Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus' passion, which is like his suffering as he's going to the cross. Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' teachings. The declaration also of all that is meant for human redemption. We would say that they, the apostles, were teaching everything that was sufficient in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. They were devoted to that. We've made Christianity so many other things that we're chasing after. Just devoted to the word is what we would say. They were devoted to the fellowship. And I completely missed this for years. Did you see the definite article the before fellowship? We would say that we have fellowship one with another whenever we're talking with one another. We're sharing life, which was absolutely one of the hearts of cross life is that we are doing life together. But they were devoted to the fellowship which is a way of really kind of connoting or, or giving that idea that this is a distinct meeting. They were, in other words, they were committed to the meeting with one another. 
It was something distinct about them. That they were not just holding to the word, but they were committed to coming together. And this defined them to the rest of the world. Their adherence to the word, they were devoted to the gathering and also to the breaking of bread. Admittedly, this one's hard. Some scholars would say that this is like the Lord's Supper, the ordinance of the breaking of bread. Some would say that it's no, it's them eating together and they will like draw lines on these. And I think honestly that it's both. Because when they would come together to eat a meal together as believers, they would break bread literally and they would remember Christ together and rejoice in it. Therefore, we keep our Lord's Supper every first Sunday to break bread in that way at his table. And then we have our family meals on the second Sunday where we sit together as a family and eat, which is what we will be doing today. But the breaking of bread, they were devoted to being together both socially and spiritually and breaking bread in that capacity. And then they were devoted to the prayers. If we want to be like the early church, you know what we should be doing? Praying. What were they doing whenever they were waiting on the coming of the Holy Spirit, on the promise of the Holy Spirit? They were praying. When something would come up, what were they doing? They were praying. What defined the early church was prayer. And yet it is something that is so devoid in our Christian culture today, except as a token thing that we kind of throw in there as a transition piece. Prayer is whenever we commune with the God who hears us, who has saved us, and who is bringing us back to his side, ultimately, fully, forever and ever. And that is my heart for us, is that we would be fully and completely single-minded, deep-seated devotion to the word, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to prayer. And what was the result of that? And all came upon every soul. And then you look at verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they were attending the temple together. And then they were breaking bread in their homes and they were receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. We, I pray, Cross Life will cling to these four things. Therefore, Cross Life, we want to encourage you to be devoted. And to know that we are praying for this very thing in your lives this year. Next passage you can turn to is Psalm chapter 27. Psalm chapter 27. We're not going to read the whole thing. I'm just highlighting. We're going to read verses 1. I'm going to skip to 4. And then we'll do 8 through 9. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your Lord, your, your face, Lord, I will seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my helper, do not reject me or forsake me. O God, my Savior. Cross life, I left off asking you to consider what your true heart's 
desire is. Is Yahweh your God always? And for you to make that meditation a part of your life this year. But as you wrestle with that, I want you to read this psalm and pray this psalm. How do we make him the true treasure of our heart? How do you say no to sin and to all the good things that can become God things, idols, by trying harder? The answer is is no. You can't do it by trying harder. You ultimately won't succeed that way. Well, then how do you supplant one love for another, one treasure for another? By focusing and shifting your focus, right? By focusing on the beautiful and goodness of the other thing that eventually leaves all the other treasures feeling like dust. The psalmist says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's it, church. That's how you do it. But let me ask you this then. What do you do with something that's beautiful? With something that absolutely captivates you? That puts a stop to you so that the rest of the world just stops around you? Have you experienced that type of beauty? What do you do with it? Do you exploit it for another thing? Do you ignore it? No. You behold it. You take it in. You appreciate it for what it is in itself. You glory in it. You relish it. You appreciate it, right? And when you do that, you just don't want to let go of that moment, that beauty. Again, have you beheld beauty in such a way? Across life, God is the beautiful. Capital B. He is the fountainhead of it, the source of it, and thus is the most beautiful. Church, when was the last time you beheld the glory of God? When was the last time you were still and gazed upon the beauty of the Lord, were captivated by him so that the rest of the world just disappeared? Church, cross life. When you stop and pursue him, what I mean by that is, is seeking every day in the word, in prayer, in your quiet time, through individual worship, through corporate worship, and many other types of spiritual disciplines. When you do that, then you'll begin to see him as beautiful, as the most captivating. Then he will become your treasure. Then everything else will be loss, and he will be gain. It is then that you will find that you can live without anything else, truly, truly, if you only have him. Then it will be for you, as the psalmist says, almost in desperation at the last verse, hide not your face from me. Turn not from your servant in anger. Oh, you who have been my helper, do not reject me or forsake me, O oh God, my Savior. In essence, he says, don't leave me, for if I don't have you, I have nothing. Cross life. Seek his face. 
gaze upon the beauty of the Lord this year so that your heart grows in affection for him. Only then will your affections for other things and people not become idols. You can love them fully. Only then. In Psalm 37, 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Think about this verse. Does it mean delight in the Lord so that he can give you other things? Desires of your heart? Do you delight? Let me ask you this. Do you delight in the beautiful, capital B, beautiful, only to desire something else? No. God is saying, if you delight in me, and if I am your beauty, if I am your treasure, your heart's ultimate desire, then I will not withhold myself from you. You can have all of me, more and more, forever. You will have the desires of your heart. You will be fulfilled, love abounding forever. You will not be disappointed if you have me, he says. So let's, let's make this prayer, A.W. Tozer's prayer at the beginning of his book, Knowledge of the Holy, our prayer. He says this, O majesty unspeakable, my soul desires to behold thee. I cry to thee from the dust. Yet when I inquire after thee, thy name, it is secret. Thou art hidden in the light which no man can approach unto what thou art cannot be thought or uttered, for thy glory is ineffable. Still, prophet and psalmist, apostle have encouraged me to believe that I may in some measure know thee. Therefore, I pray, whatever of thyself thou hast been pleased to disclose, help me to search out as treasure more precious than rubies or merchandise of fine gold, for with thee shall I live when the stars of the twilight are no more and the heavens have vanished away and only thou remainest. Amen. So cross life. This is what we desire and pray for you to do this year. Delight yourself in the Lord. Seek his face. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord this year. And through the spirit, as he grows you, you will grow in love for him. And you will have the desires of your heart. All right, 1 Corinthians. So our goal is to speak for about six minutes on each one of our, our points. Some of us are leaning more towards the seven-ish side. We've actually, uh, so we kind of, just for the fun of it, we're timing each other. Um, it's kind of a, our own little fun side up here, but I clear the time before you can see mine. So, all right, everybody to First Corinthians. We're tracking about the same. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. If one of my chief desires or one of our chief desires for you is that you be devoted to the word, devoted to gathering, devoted to breaking bread spiritually and socially with one another, and be devoted to prayer. All of those things come together in this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because as we gather and as we're growing in those things, I want us to consider 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, 
And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now listen to this. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Please hear this. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together now. You, cross life, you, church, you, believers, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts? Y'all, here is, here's the truth of it. I don't have to do much exposition on this passage. It's both encouraging and comforting in and of itself. We just forget. So we want to encourage you in this. As I have had the honor of being able to serve as one of your elders here at Crosslife, there's one thing that brings me so much joy. And then in talking to Andy, he echoes. He's like, oh, this is so, it, it brings us joy to see your growth. Not growth in numbers, but to see your growth. We're walking alongside you in life and, and the shy and the quiet and the reserved. And the, I don't know how I can help. I don't know how I can serve. I'll just do whatever. And then I don't know if you see all of the movement before church and after church and during church. But there is so much growth that everybody is contributing in some way. Maybe not every single day, but in the life of the church. This brings us incredible joy to see your growth. Not in numbers, but in service to one another, to the church, and to others beyond the church. My heart cross life is that you continue, each and every one of you, to grow in Christ and that you realize the great work that Christ does through each of us for the good of his church. Some of you are ears, some of you are eyes, some of you are elbows, and some of you are the belly button, right? We don't quite know what each of us is actually able to fulfill until we put ourselves in Christ's love and allow him to work through us. Listen to two other passages to, and so I can bring this all together. Psalm 139, 13 through 14 says this, For you formed, you got, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
And I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And we are so quick to remind everybody else that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you, Cross Life, each one of you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Perfectly and wonderfully physically, emotionally, mentally, just as he intended with your own limitations, your own weaknesses, your own quirks, and your own idiosyncrasies. He made you like that for a purpose. He made you with all of your own strengths and your own excellencies, your own nuances, your own uniqueness. Why? So that he might perfectly fulfill through you that which would bring him the greatest glory and equip his church whenever that day would come. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I, in Christ Jesus are his workmanship. Like when's the last time you dwelt in that? Like we have sin, we have weakness, we have failure, we have fatigue. We are his workmanship and his workmanship is precious in his eyes. And he has good works for each of us to accomplish. And those good works begin to get expressed within the context of a church. We want Cross Life to be a church, not where we reserve it for the professionals or those who are getting it figured out. It's going to be raw and it's going to be organic like the first times you're like, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to figure it out. And that is us beginning to walk alongside because we need the elbows, the toes, the feet, the belly buttons, the shoulders. Like we need all these parts working together because it's how God has orchestrated all of his body to work. The weaker parts along the stronger parts. We do not all do the same because we're not all ears and eyes. Our joy, y'all, over the past year has been to see so many of you growing in your service to the church, to one another, and beyond the church. It brings us joy. And on our side, we say thank you. But on another side, we say continue on for your praising and glorifying God in what you do. Therefore, Cross Life, we want to encourage you to serve and use the gifts and talents that the Lord has given you very specifically and to know that we are praying for this very thing in your lives this year. Thank you. Nice. Yeah, you're just saving a little space from me, right? That's right. All right. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. It actually works really well because you're in Colossians 1, right? So, and I'm actually, a, this is a, a nice transition from what he just preached about being the body together. Mine kind of had a little bit of a, a, a direction as well for my three, and this would conclude my three, for those who uh, continue to drill down to the bottom of their heart's desires and who seek his face and, and develop a tr his... Um, a treasure of him more and more. What then do we do to love God? This kind of this last point then. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, 
passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Things like anger and wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So what do you do, church, instead? Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're going to focus cross life on, on, on the first few words here. First, Paul is speaking to the believers. The believers, he says, if you have been raised in Christ, to those who love God, are called by him, profess Christ as he who died in their place, are those who profess that they cannot do anything for salvation but rely on Christ through and through. Those are the people who are in Christ. Those, firstly, are who I'm speaking to right now in Cross Life. What does Paul say? He says, seek the things that are above. This is much of what we've covered in the past is through Psalms. Seek his face. Make him your treasure. This will set up the directives for the rest of the passage and my last message to you today then. But first, one other point I want to draw your attention to today. As we seek his face this year, as we make him our treasure, not for what he can do for us, but for who he is in himself, church, reflect often on what he has done for you and for us. We are reconciled to the Holy One through Christ offering himself as a punishment in our place in receiving, and we get to see, receive his absolutely perfect life and love of the Father over us. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And because of this, Paul says in his passage, when Christ, who is your life, comes, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Church, I want you to reflect on this astounding wonder. And as you do, Reflect on this word, hope. Without Christ, there is no hope. In fact, I'll step away just from this, just for a little bit of the script, but I talked about this with my D group this week, and I was reflecting on trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who doesn't know Christ and who thinks that at the end of life, it's done. 
What hope is there? And can you imagine living without that? And then think the treasure that it is to know that you have that hope. How wonderful is that? How amazing. Think about it. No eternal love of the Father beyond this life. That would be despair. Cross life, no matter what happens this life, you have hope. It's an amazing gift. For you have Christ. And because you have Christ and he has reconciled you to God, you will appear with him in glory. And you will experience full life here, now. Full life and love, the face of God for eternity, for church. If Christ is for us, who can be against us? This is life-changing, and life-changing through any circumstance. So with this in full view, if you reflect on this, meditate this year on these truths. Then seek God, make him your treasure, strive after him. You'll want to love him and, and please him more as your only response. And that's where this passage comes in. We're going to read the last part of it, leave it for the sake of time. <laughs> the last part of it is again. Now as we read it, this is our heart for you this year. For those who are in Christ, for those whose lives are guided by the Spirit and are being changed by him while also striving in their own will to love God, this is how you should live. And also for the sake of time, I want to reference one other thing. Romans 8, 5 through 17, if you jot down notes. Is in regard to this, it says, those who live according to the Spirit, those who are in Christ, have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. This then is the picture of that. Setting our minds of what the Spirit desires as He lives in and through us, changing us to the very bottom of our hearts. Cross life. As we read this last passage, this is what we pray for you to do and to be this year. Starting in verse... I don't have the verses here. I'm sorry. Says, uh, starting after the Christ is all and in all, he says, put on then God as God's chosen ones. This is what we want you to do this year. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, put that on. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, church, to which indeed we were called in one body. In cross life, be thankful. Cross life, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And finally, cross life, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. All right, my final charge to you. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. Colossians 1, 15 through 22. One of my favorite passages of all time. It says he, Jesus. We're going to tell about Jesus this whole time. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So cross off, if my heart is that you be so deeply devoted and so humbly, uniquely serving, then this is my, my final, ultimate conclusion. And it's that you behold your God. This is who our Jesus is. This is what we've lost, I fear, in our churches, in our culture, in our personal lives. This is what is at stake. I want to remind you one more time. So walk with me through it. I'm just, we're going to read the verse. I'm going to add the notes in as we go to, to really make sure we understand the full effect of it. Then we remember the gospel. And it's this, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews says that he is the radiance of the glory of God. The God, the Father, who cannot be seen because he is spirit, is fully seen and can be fully known in Jesus Christ. That's what that means. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn, it says, of all creation, which means that he is the rightful heir of all things, like everything belongs to him. That's that first. Uh, firstborn of all creation. It says in verse 16, for by him, all things, y'all, all things, everything, anything that exists in any form of creation, whether visible or invisible, wherever those thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, wherever they are at any time, throughout all time and all of existence, they were all created by him and through him and for him. Everything that has existed is his and it's not ours. Because, y'all, he is worthy. He is matchless. He is ultimate. And we are not. And yet we live our lives as though we are. But he is the one that we cling to and that we know because he is all of these things. Verse 17 says, and he is before all things. Y'all, because he is matchless and he precedes everything in all importance from all time. He says, and in him all things hold together. Y'all, please, uh, even as he hung upon the cross for our sins. He was still holding all things together. As he was clothed in our sins, as he was beaten and disfigured, and yet he held the very fabrics of all existence together. That is our Christ. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. You know why? Because from him, we exist today. Any church that exists is because of him. We sit here today because of Christ. It says he is the beginning. That means that he is the first of all that lives and has existed. It's a, he says he's the firstborn from the dead. He was the first of the resurrected. Why? It says so that in everything he might be preeminent. That means that whether in life or in death, he is the first and the most majestic of all things. It's all encompassing. This is our Jesus, not one who could casually walk in here and we would go, hi, Jesus, thanks for showing up, but one through whom, for whom, and to whom all existence owes its very being. It says in 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Is that not beautiful? 
that in the man of Jesus, all the fullness of God and all the mystery and the majesty and the glory and the infinitude of who he is, all of that is pleased to dwell in Christ Jesus. The message paraphrase even says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and even have room within our Jesus. He is so much greater. If you leave cross life and you're talking about Andy and Ricky or the the fellowship and you're not talking about Jesus, then we've totally missed our point and we need to shut down. We're all about Jesus in our very lives. It says in verse 20, it says, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile means to bring back together himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Y'all, here it is. The matchless one whom no other person or thing can compare to. That is this Jesus. He is worthy of such great and glorious praise and worship. That's what this calls us back to. He is infinitely wonderful, gloriously resplendent, amazingly powerful. Y'all, he is matchless. And we read that whole passage and we realize this is our God. This is our Jesus. And then it says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body by his death. Why? So that he may present you and me holy and blameless and above reproach. Now the matchless one, he came for us while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, while we were alienated, while we were hostile, while we were evil, he has reconciled us by his death so that he may bring us home. As I consider our sweet fellowship, I pray that we are captivated by the beauty of Jesus Christ and humbled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who are we that we would love us? And yet because of his great love for us, he took on flesh and dwelt amongst us, laying aside his glory so that he might bring many sons and daughters to glory Here is your Christ cross life. This is your God. We should stand to behold him. Therefore, cross life, we want to encourage you to always, always, always dwell deeply on the great grace of Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel. And to know that we are praying that this dwells richly within you this year. So cross life, as we conclude I thought, what better way to conclude than with the last bit of scripture? But what we want from you is what Ricky had led us in prayer before, is for us to continually grow in our faith, to behold our God, to see him as the most precious thing, our heart's true desire, to live that together as a fellowship of believers with each other, to express it to one another as a church, and then to do that to a broken and dying world. Here is the last bit of scripture in Romans 12, 9 through 21. Paul is writing to the fellowship, the church in Rome, and now to us here at Cross Life. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. 
bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, purify him. Do not be overcome with evil, by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, join us in prayer. Lord, many words were spoken this morning. I pray that you are glorified, Lord. I pray that you are honored. Lord, we pray that, that you dwell so richly with us, because we know you do. Lord, we pray this so that we remember. But Lord, would you dwell so richly with us, that these are the realities that we walk out. Lord, refine our vision so that you are beautiful. Captivate us with who you are. Humble us in light of your love. And in that way, we will walk in a way that is worthy of you and your gospel. To walk worthy in a manner to which we've been called. But Lord, you first and ultimate and foremost must be our desire and treasure. Where we have calluses and scars and hard hearts, Lord, we appeal to you, the one who remakes hearts. Lord, do what you will with us. We are yours. Amen.